Well, welcome everybody. We do have a couple more minutes to continue networking and kind of get everything kicked off. Um, so welcome to our seven part series. We are on uh, series number two or uh, webinar number two of uh, it doesn't take millions to be a queen. Uh, this is my seven series um, broken down and there's probably a lot more um, just how to be successful in single and multifamily real estate. I obviously know um, multifamily a lot better, but there are parallels to both. And so, you know, like today we're going to talk about um, starting a business lessons I've learned starting a multifamily business. Now there are parts where I'm going to have to compare the two uh, because, you know, a business technically is having an LLC and making profits, right? But there's a different part business, like having a business means different things. Um, and Real Estate IQ is our sponsor for the day. Um, you're going to need information and data to be able to do deals, whether you're doing single or multifamily. So um, they're number one in deal finding and have been very generous to help me be able to spread my message, be able to get more people involved uh, in our mission, vision, values, and um, be able to obviously help anyone that's watching be able to get more quality leads to be able to do, to do deals, right? Uh, and then this is me for today. Um, my company is called The Apartment Queen. Um, currently, we have around, it's a little bit more than this, but I um, haven't added them up properly. We have about 720 doors under management right now. So we call that AUM or assets under management. Um, and I have a passion, like I just explained, for helping others create independence um, through cash flow. So today's presentation is going to be on lessons personal lessons that I have learned and have learned from other individuals who've been in the business longer than I have. It's always smart to learn from other individuals, um, you know, having a mentor, for example, but uh, my lessons that I know and hold true for starting a multifamily real estate business. So, um, oh, this, this came out differently than I thought. Okay. Um, <laughs> so um, basically multifamily real estate business is a different animal than flipping investing businesses are. Uh, like I kind of lightly touched on earlier, anyone can go to the secretary of state and they can file for an LLC, an S corp, C corp, whatever entity that they want, which then means you have a business, right? So that business just means that the government can now collect taxes from you because you have an entity uh, that if it is profitable, then they can collect tax. So they're, they, I mean, you can, I've got it down to where I could sign up for, you know, an LLC every 30 minutes if I wanted to uh, with a different company name, different um, operating agreement. But um, anyway, so for us, um, it's very clear to make the distinction between uh, when I had done in the past flipping investing, which is individual, you know, I'm the one doing everything and working directly with our contractors and lender and things like that to actually having a business. So a structured, scalable business. So this is something where if you're not familiar with this term, any business out there that, you know, sells products or services, they have a structure. And so for example, every company, every company uh, is driven or the price of the company is driven by valuation and valuation is based on the earning potential of it. There are several different ways that you can uh, value a company. There's like, I think four different methods. Um, 
and I'm not going to go over those today, um, but essentially having a business that is scaled or scalable and it has systems uh, is far different than when I did anything in uh, real estate investing as a flipper. So uh, they're very different things. And I kind of want to go over lessons for success today because I'm still learning those lessons literally up, up till this week. Things, things will continue to grow and change, but um, I think some of the things that I've heard, sometimes you have to hear something five times before you believe it. Um, and, and now I'm, I'm living it. You know what I mean? So I, the, the six things we're going to cover um, when it comes to multifamily real estate being a different scalable type of business and what it takes to have it be successful um, is, is one or six different things uh, that it's emotionally not the same as investing just as an investor, right? Um, you are a business owner. It's very different. You have a team. Um, and it's, it's very much like pay, playing chess. So I'll try to make notes and remember that um, because that ties in with a whole lot of things that, you know, uh, we have learned as individuals, uh, women and men and uh, people that have never owned a business before, like a true business. Anyway, it's very, very different, uh, but it's like playing chess. Um, you also own a true business. Again, we'll go over systems and things that I have figured out uh, through other examples and trying um, that really help to work when you're getting started. Structure is so key and so important. As soon as you have anyone come part of your team, they come, they go, whatever it is, you just have that structure set up. It makes everything a lot easier for everybody. Um, you must have partners, especially when you're starting off, unless you were born into a huge trust uh, and someone has, has already passed or um, unless you're just independently wealthy, very wealthy, um, like millions and millions wealthy, uh, that's a different scenario, right? But normal people like me, you have to have partners. And I really think having partners is a good thing because it creates balance. So we'll go over partners, uh, how to vet them, um, kind of what roles everyone plays. And, you know, because you want, you don't want two bowls together, you want balance. So we'll kind of go over a little bit of that. Um, you also must be a leader. You have to not be somebody who is, we'll, we'll go over all the parts of what, what a true leader is. Um, but you must be a leader. And that's the difference, I think, between, you know, single and multi is that when you're in single, you know, you don't necessarily have to lead. You can come up with a plan, give it to everybody, and then essentially use legal structure to make sure that everybody um, executes what you tell them to do. Uh, but, other, but you don't have to um, make something. You could stop after that one flip, for example. You don't have to run a, a full company. So, um, being in this for the long haul is why all these other things are so important um, to make sure that you have success for the long haul. Um, and then again, with multifamily, now you're adding in a whole bunch of other factors and things that really affect uh, your, your deals or your company. Uh, so there's an economic effect. There's good and bad. There's macro, microeconomic um, effects and um, micro and macroeconomic, I can't think right now, but uh, things that you are going to have to be aware of uh, or qualities that you'll have to be aware of um, and to be able to make decisions based on those things, um, not just kind of do your own thing. You have to be aware of how, how the um, economy is. Um, so one question I have and the last one I'll have for the whole presentation is who is interested in being qualified for multifamily slash apartment investing. Like if it's your first time uh, being in this, I'm trying to um, use that word apartment investing because some people don't know what multifamily is, but same thing. Uh, but you could raise your hand right now if you're interested in 
figuring out what it takes to be qualified for a multifamily or apartment deal. Um, and what I'm referring to here is usually when people start off, they choose to have less of an active role and to uh, use the experience and the net worth and everything of a experienced uh, successful sponsor uh, to be able to still reap the benefits from the returns. Um, and so usually they'll start off as a passive investor. And so there's certain things that it takes to be qualified to be able to do that. Um, so leave a comment in the chat, raise your hand, and we'll get back to those at the end. So going over our first thing, why this is so different lessons learned, right? So um, emotionally, uh, it is so different when, when you are a true leader of a company and you have to deal with, I mean, I don't know if kids are watching this, but uh, shit happens all the time, you know? So I've got, I've, I've dealt with a partner before who is extremely pessimistic, um, extremely, you know, wants everything to be very clean and by the book and, and, you know, just has these unrealistic expectations of people and systems. And um, that's, that's not how the real world works. It is not black and white. There is gray area um, in the real world. So um, emotionally, you as the leader have to be the one that you, um, you must care for your own uncertain or negative feelings that you have, but on your own time. Don't share doubt with your team. Uh, you are the morale of your team. So you can share with them warnings or lessons learned, or for example, like when it comes to number two, safety of everybody, that's a different issue. So yes, it could be considered uh, a panic uh, item or something that you know is scary or uncertain, right, or, or negative to some people. But that's in result. Or that's that's revolving around safety. So safety is, I would say, the one exception to that that rule that I've learned. And and even in that face of that time when things are uncertain and it's negative and whatnot, you still as the leader, you have to follow your instinct how to take care of this issue. But you have to emotionally stay even keeled. Because again, you are still a leader. Even when things are you know, not seemingly going well, you're still a leader. Um, and then I, I put women check yourself because I wrote a long blog about this this week that is not published yet. But personally, I had this amazing ability to um, have empathy for people, had this amazing ability to have intuition about how things are going to work, what people really think without expressing themselves, things like that. But in these situations, those natural ability or uh, natural things that we that we see, I think, as females, it's changing a little bit more in this in the 21st century. Well, actually, in this century now, past the 21st century, that now that women are um, able to kind of look at things without a bias and they're not trying to necessarily gossip or judge. I've had um, ladies that I've interviewed from you know that are in their 60s that have been in commercial real estate for a long time. And that's one thing that they've made very clear. It doesn't matter your gender at all, you know, in this space. Um, but you have to check yourself if you operate how uh, women are usually taught to act. You know, very emotions are on your sleeve, um, showing everybody whether it's positive, negative, whatever. Having positivity is great. And being able to get people, you know, on the team and get excited about something, that is, that is great. But again, you have to check those, those emotions because you need to be even keel. You know, you can, you can state facts, you can tell someone they're wrong, you can do all that, but you, you know, anyway. So it leads me to number three, 
being decisive and unafraid to share uh, what these decisions are in these situations with your team is, is so important. Um, so again, that establishes trust. And um, if you don't know what to do, that is okay, but you need to have uh, a couple of experts or a board sometimes or a mentor, or people that have literally done exactly what you're doing for a while that can lend some advice. And so you have to then go to your team and be decisive and swift and quick. And you have to lead that way, right? You can't be indecisive. Um, having thick skin is so important in this industry. And I think um, in any business industry, it may be as well. Uh, I think it's all the same as far as having a scalable, successful, large business. Um, but um, you never, ever, ever call names. You never threaten. You don't demand. You don't resort to what I call childish tactics, where you have several partners, right? And maybe you call one and go around the other. No, it's time for the team to get on a call and for everybody to be open and honest with each other about what's going on and make decisions together. You know, don't, don't be that kid. I've dealt with this before too. Don't be the, the child that's mom says no. So you try to go around dad and get the answer that you want. It doesn't work that way. When you have a large company, people are depending on you for income. They're depending on you for a lot of different things. It's your job to be open, honest, transparent, fix things quickly and be, uh, and have the entire team involved. Uh, always maintaining professionalism is hundred percent important. This is one lesson that I've learned over and over again. Um, that's why it's so important for me to take care of myself. I go to see a counselor every week uh, for all these bottled up issues that I have to deal with. So I don't take them out on anybody else. I meditate. Uh, like I lay on my dog in the morning and take time to not even look at my phone and don't let the day start yet. Um, and, and when things are, are building like that, uh, or it's very stressful, I stop and I take time to take care of myself um, because it is my duty to remain professional, not to yell, not to demand, not to threaten, not to call names, you know, anything like that would can totally result in you being sued for slander or libel. Uh, and y'all might want to like go Google what the definitions of those are, but basically it's, it's written versus verbal um, defamation of somebody's name, character, business, things like that. And so, you know, if someone has proof of that, they can sue you for those things. So it's a hundred percent to make sure that you maintain your professionalism at all costs. It doesn't matter. I hate to say it this way, but when it's, when it's someone, for example, for our investors, when it's an investor that might be pent up or angry or they don't understand because they don't see all of the systems in place and whatnot and deal with the day-to-day -day, um, things that we do, they're, they're bent out of shape and they may even come at you, you know, just in disrespect, but it's still your job to maintain professionalism no matter what. Even if your feelings want to do something else, you need to take care of giving them answers and, um, and be professional no matter how hard it is. Um, and number five, uh, you must have a safe, confidential, knowledgeable, peaceful, positive person in your life who completely understands what you go through. I think I mentioned that earlier, but again, that's just another avenue for you to be able to, I guess, decompress or just know that somebody understands like how hard you work your ass off and how the other people don't and, or the other people involved don't, and, and they can't see all the things that you see. They understand that you're not perfect. They understand you, right? So it's really important. Uh, for me, none of my family does what I do or understands it at all. And so I could never even go to a family member and be able to um, lean on that for that support. Um, so now, topic number two, now you own a big kid business. So this is one thing that for the beginning part of my uh, multifamily investing career, I was in denial of, I'll be honest with you, that I decided to go down this path and thought that I could literally just do this business deal to deal to deal. And 
You can, but again, my goal is to be in this for the long haul. So if you're going to be in this for the long haul, you need to just accept the fact that you are now a leader and then you're now responsible for people's money, people's children's money. Um, you're responsible for uh, people's salaries and their well-being. Again, behind everything that we do, there's a, there's a human being behind it. You know? So again, thinking about being in their shoes um, is so important. So whenever you own a big kid business, there is a certain structure uh, that always seems to apply and always seems to work really well. So at the top of, I've got an example later on in the presentation, the picture's a little fuzzy, but it's essentially like an org chart or organizational chart. We call it a, what do we call it? A, I'll think of it in a minute, but it's not, we don't call it an org chart, but for us, it's basically having the individual that is involved in whatever part of the business they're involved in and the duties that they're assigned to. So, or that they do. So at the very top, you're going to be looking at, I, I would never be confident in saying that any individual who runs a business, they're not doing it alone. Again, the, the, the comment before I made about having partners. So, but there's different mindsets and there's different, um, there's different successes that people have. And, and there's no one that's higher or lower or more important or less important, but the, the two key people or four people or whatever, there has to be a integrator. And first there has to be a visionary. So, a visionary is somebody who does not live in the details. They're not good at accounting. They're not good at the day-to-day, -day, like I said, details, you know, uh, making sure that they're typing everything out from notes and things like that. They're someone that is a good, what I call hunter. So they have these massive ideas. They already can predict and manifest whatever is going to happen for this company, which is ultimately going to give it the historical success that it will see over time. But every visionary needs an integrator. So that's somebody who basically goes, okay, I get what you're saying. I agree that that's cool. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's step A through Z, exactly how we're going to execute this plan. So they basically work together to get things going, right? Um, but so that's very important to have at the top of the chain, if you ask me. And it doesn't matter how many people hold those roles, but those are two people that really work in tandem. The other third leg, if you will, that is like absolutely critical, we'll go over this later, well, it's, it's number eight, is having someone that is a CFO or chief financial officer. So at the top, it would be basically like the CEO which is the visionary, the COO, which is operations or the integrator, and then the um, CFO, which is the chief financial officer. So all these individuals work together to monitor different parts of the business, and they all have to work together to monitor and to know what direction everyone's moving forward. So um, I know in the beginning of my business, you know, we would hire third-party individuals to do certain things. Uh, now I've learned that I have no control over what they do. I've had, I've learned that, you know, I don't want to get too much into detail, but basically that they, they aren't a part of this culture. They aren't a part of this company. They don't want to be in this for the long term. So it just causes a lot of um, incongruency, if you will. So if we're all on the same team, all looking to, to do the same thing in this world, um, we'll all get there together, right? Uh, and my goal personally is to have uh, individuals, whether they work with me, for me, whatever, that are involved in my life for 15, 20 years. Um, and so it's going to take people who are 100% committed to whatever that culture of the company is. So again, the culture, the mission, vision, values are so important to be very very clear day one what those are. And so for me, um, you know, starting off our company, I forget if it's Amazon or Google or some large company like that, 
they have a pay to, pay to quit bonus, uh, something like that, where basically the new employee gets $1,000 uh, to quit in the first 30 days of working for the company. And what that does is because they're so clear on what their vision, mission values are, that people that aren't 100% in, they go. And it's going to cost the, the company quite a bit less money to handle it that way than to have individuals who are just half in, half out, you know, doing just the minimum versus people that are 100% on board and they want to see that eventual uh, vision come true. Uh, again, uh, now being a big kid, big kid with your business, you have to deal with all these different parts of your business. So different parts of your business. So I, I'm not covering this today, but when you have a business that is becoming sick, is what I call it, uh, or like my buddy who owns uh, Serta Simmons, Sealy, all that, they call it the hospital. So whenever there is an issue or something that is not working, uh, or it's usually a, a department of the company, um, it goes into the hospital. And so when, a, when something is sick, you have to diagnose it like a doctor, figure out which part of the business is, is suffering, uh, and then basically figure out what the goals are for it, what the problems are, what the solutions are, who's going to implement those solutions, and when and make that very clear. Again, structure is and clarity is so important. Um, but having the systems, so you're gonna have all these different parts of the business. So systems is like operations. So the COO, they're over that, right? Uh, those are core competencies that everybody needs to be uh, performing. You can usually attribute that to a KPI or key performance indicator. So for me, it's like how many uh, thought leadership uh, meetings am I having per week? Uh, I want to hit three at a minimum. Um, how many new investor calls have I had this week? I want to have 10 at a minimum. How, so we all have these key performance indicators. And that's also, that's also exactly how you make it super clear how bonuses are structured. Because you're like, oh, you're, you're way past your key performance indicators. Well, obviously, we need to bonus you. Um, so you'll have your systems, people, advertising, capital, accounting, um, HR, and I don't know if I have another one. I can't see. Hold on one second. I'm going to move this. Yeah, HR. So um, not every company, like I've been studying Warren Buffett quite a bit lately. So his company uh, has had, last I checked, 331,000 employees in all of his different businesses, right? But at the core of the company, there's only 25 employees. So they actually don't have an HR department. They do things a little bit differently. Um, so this isn't 100% a template that you have to use for your business at all. But having someone who at least is responsive to these areas is important, right? So uh, you have to take care of your system. So COO, he's the one that usually, or he or she is the one that usually reports on, you know, how many of this have we hit this week on our advertising? You know, where our goal was to have this many clicks. How far are we off from that? What do we need to tweak to get there? We're overspending over here. And they also work with the chief financial officer to figure out budget-wise uh, what we're spending on things that are not working in the operations and how to tighten operations to tighten up um, our accounting or money, basically. Um, so capital is basically intertwined also with KPI. It's specifically different, though, in multifamily systems because capital is like its own its own section of the business, if you ask me. So the capital, there's so many parts of it where it's either you're working, there's, there's say it's an individual that's like the capital raiser or the person that is uh, the capital, the capital partner, if you will. So the person that basically they're figuring out how to do business with family offices, funds, uh, high net worth, HNW individuals, um, 
put together events that's going to help us to raise capital, um, having our presentations. Uh, so it's, it's partially investor relations is really what capital is, but that's just for us in multifamily. It's a very important part of the business. Uh, as a core company, just like every other core company, that part, especially in the beginning, is key. It's not just the um, CFO who usually is, you know, they're creative, but they're kind of checking boxes. They're kind of like a uh, really... Uh, sophisticated accountants, you know, the person who's bringing in capital when you're a startup business like us, you know, we're talking to individuals that are um, angel investors that start off wanting a certain profit from your company, but they'll invest with you when you're new, uh, VC, venture capital companies, and there's many other different, you know, sources of capital out there, but that needs to be an integral part of your business, especially when you're starting and always, honestly, if you're in multifamily. Um, advertising, marketing, again, very key. Uh, we have a specific department that does just that, all that. Um, so social media, um, any kind of white papers, books, magazines, eBooks. I mean, all the things that we do to basically share information in a marketing form um, is, is what that does. So I'll, I'll move on. But basically, you know, depending on how y'all handle everything and how big your company is, uh, there doesn't have to be someone over an HR department. Again, um, that could be a collaborative effort if your team is small enough, but just depends on how large you get. There may have to be a separate department that, you know, nationwide, if you've got people everywhere, um, you know, they need to kind of lasso everything together. And the CEO should be the person that always at the end of the day, I, you know, you can outsource personality tests and things like that, like I do, but at the end of the day, the CEO needs to be the one to put their rubber stamp, if you will, on the new hires. That is, that is their job. This is essentially their company. So um, HR is also going to be involving the president or CEO of the company or founder or principal or whatever you want to call them. Next slide. Um, you must have partners. I mentioned this. So um, most people like me, normal, regular people, have to have partners to get started. We pool our capital together. We pool our resources and knowledge bases together. You know, again, I'm not the best accountant in the world. So somebody who's more numbers driven, that might be a good partnership. Um, but um, interviewing them is really important. Vetting them is really important. One thing I found is, you know, this may not work for you. It's cool. But one thing that I've found, and I don't mean to offend anyone with any of this stuff, but this is, again, just from what I've experienced and my friends that have been in uh, commercial real estate for 40 plus years, they say the same stuff. So, um, you know, I don't need to beat my head up against a wall figuring this out myself, but uh, I've seen a little bit of it. But anyway, so uh, if you have an HR department or if you have somebody that is going to be doing interviews, I actually... Um, have a friend who does a lot of government contracting. And so they obviously hire people every time they get a new contract approved. So actually he has me come in occasionally and do kind of like the second to last interview before he does it. Um, because women just have an intuition. We just really can feel the person on the other side. Usually by the time that they have gotten through so many interviews, they're more like comfortable. You know, they've taken the personality test. They've gone through multiple rounds. They might think like I have this in the bag. Um, but having a woman interview is a really helpful part of the interview process. You don't have to do it, but, um, and there's, there's some men out there that are very cued into their intuition. So it just depends on who you have. Um, the other thing too, is when it comes to me looking at other partners to partner with, um, you know, when you're looking at their bio, uh, their resume, their past uh, work experience, is it applicable to what you're doing now? One thing that I've heard and seen myself and, you know, feel this in my gut too, is that, you know, whenever all they do is talk about their church and their religion and, you know, how nice their family is and all that, that's, that's wonderful. That is great, but that is not 
what makes a resume. That is not what proves your track record. That is not what tells me that you won't embezzle. That is not something that, nope, not at all. And, and the louder somebody is about it, the, the more I want to run. You know what I mean? Because if somebody has done good business, they should be confident in being able to provide references, talk about what they've done, show their track record, uh, let you talk to, again, references, other people they've done deals with. Uh, and, and they would never need to talk about something that is so personal. Like I mentioned, I go to see a therapist or a counselor once a week. That is not something I put on my resume. That is just something I do to personally take care of me and that I, you know, there's nothing to do with business. Um, it, it affects my business, but anyway, it's personal. So, um, also doing a background check. That's something that we do on every partner. It's very important uh, for us that we uh, want to see that their home address uh, matches up with what they're saying that it does, their phone number. It's, that doesn't matter as much, but their, their home address, uh, assets that they own, any former bankruptcies, um, any kind of um, criminal activity uh, that we can see, and, and not just felony, like major criminal activity, because then you get an opportunity to literally just come to this person's face and say, hey, what happened with your bankruptcy, you know, and if they deny it, if they, whatever that you run for the Hills, you know, so background checking, everybody is really important. Um, and then also a personality test. This is just an added thing. Again, um, if you really want to make sure that, uh, you're kind of seeing how people react and what their main strength is, everyone has like one really, really good strength. Um, and under stress is when you want to see kind of what, will happen to that strength if it will get pulled back, if it will become more robust, if all the other weaknesses or, or less, um, less strong traits, well, those will come forward instead. Um, and uh, there's just a few personality tests that I've used in the past. Uh, culture index, predictive index is another one. The PI or predictive index is not... Um, does not measure um, inventiveness, which is nice to know because then you want to know if someone has a strength and you're in a meeting and maybe they have ideas in their head all day long and something, you know, one out of 10 ideas may change the planet, right? You want that person to start speaking up at your meetings and they, they'd be a huge asset to your company. Um, but anyway, so knowing people's strengths and weaknesses and what will happen to them in a stressful situation is really critical, you know? Um, you may, and it's, that's the best way to know it unless you, again, have, have done a deal with them before or you know somebody who has done a deal with them if we're talking multifamily or, you know, owned a business with them. Because, like I said, shit happens all the time. Stressful stuff happens all the time. You know, you'll get threatened with lawsuits and, you know, sometimes numbers don't add up and you have to fix your accounting and, I mean, whatever. But you fix it and you move forward. That is just the end of the day, the thing that you need to always have in mind. So um, somebody that is very... Uh, pessimistic is not going to be a good person to bring on your team and they're not going to be a good leader either. Um, having an operating agreement, this is something I learned recently through several different sources. Having an operating agreement is very key when you're setting up your partnership agreements and um, you know, you could have a attorney like I have had where they'll put together a, I call a boilerplate or like a very general um, operating agreement between partners that protects both partners against divorces, um, against disagreements, uh, that we're going to do mediation, all the very general normal stuff that you always have in your uh, operating agreements. But what I learned is the most success people have had with setting up these uh, OAs is having a three-part, say if there's, there's two partners and an attorney, or however many partners, having all the partners sit down, Skype it, Zoom it, whatever, but sit down all together at the same time and talk about you know, their fears, what they specifically want in writing, what the responsibilities are going to be, 
how the voting is going to work and have everybody right there just go paragraph to paragraph and design specifically for that company how that agreement's going to work. Um, like I said, the boilerplate thing is fine, you know, but um, just depending on who those individuals are and, and truly like what they need, um, it's important just to customize it honestly. So spend the extra money, spend the hour, you know, uh, with an attorney, 500 bucks. Uh, it'll save you a lot of headaches and a lot of, uh, stress. No one needs that. Okay. So again, keep in mind the long haul. This is another really important thing. If you ask me when it comes to running a, a real scalable business, um, you, uh, what, what do you think it will take to make it in the long haul? Here's a few things that I have learned myself and learned from other people. Um, do not lie, cheat, steal uh, with that intention. And why I say with that intention is because every lawsuit and everything that comes back to hurt people uh, is based on the intent of the activity. So I have experienced in the past where people are not perfect. They make mistakes, but it's so important to be able to be open and honest and super transparent and you know not hide anything and just okay here's what happened again how are we going to fix it and how are we going to move forward if somebody is doing something that is not kosher to the business and they have the intent of having it hurt the business that is a whole separate issue than somebody who makes a mistake which might look like a lie because they didn't outwardly say oh my god i made this mistake yesterday guys uh but they fixed it or whatever so uh, again always admit your mistakes uh to all of the team it's really important um, again, we're human. We make mistakes. Uh, I have made my share amount, uh, fair share of mistakes. I have, but you, again, tell everybody and you figure out a plan to correct it. So that's all you can do. Um, be an early adopter of tech and change. Um, so that's something that when I listen to other individuals who've had success, they've had lasting staying power over time. That's something they've all had in common is that uh, well, besides Warren Buffett, he has embraced change, but not necessarily technology. Uh, but I'm sure that he has people in his company that when it comes to um, online advertising or, you know, online transactions or doing uh, e-signatures for notaries or things that are technology, technologically advanced, I'm sure he has individuals in his company that look out for that. Um, him personally, he, he knows what he knows, you know, and does very well at that. But I've seen a lot of individuals, you know, because you have to adopt change, period. Um, learn literally every day. If you do not want to put in the effort to accept criticism, to admit you're wrong, to change what you thought you were doing that was correct, to open a book or two or three a month, uh, to strive for that knowledge, to make sure that everybody that's involved with you, that you are at the top of your game. Uh, I don't think that you should look at being a leader in multifamily real estate um, or in any business period. I think that learning is critical critical. A lot of people want to sit and rest on their laurels and that is totally fine, but that is someone who could be involved in multifamily as a passive investor or limited partner. You'll still make the same returns as everybody else does, but you know, instead of being that leader that never grows, so therefore the company never grows, um, you just get to benefit from the profits, you know, and, and then you can live your lifestyle however you want to. Totally cool. Um, long haul in mind, um, you need to guard your reputation with everything, but do not let others who use that to threaten you control your activities, uh, control your stress level, control anything like that. So I want to remind everybody that um, whenever you are guarding your reputation, that obviously we have this thing called slander and libel. I mentioned that earlier. And people will threaten you uh, with their words out loud or so slander or in, in text or uh, email or whatever, they will threaten you um, to ruin your reputation. Again, that is uh, libel. 
Okay. Um, so yeah, don't, don't let somebody threaten you. Again, I've dealt with that in flipping houses. I've dealt with that with partners. I've dealt with that in many, many things. And it's really unfortunate that people decide that they want to try to control you out of fear, which is, uh, you know, a dictator or a, a, like someone that operates by fear and tyranny. And that's not okay. Don't let someone treat you like that. Um, and if you try to get rid of those individuals that do that, leading to number five, you will have long-term success. Um, so cut off toxicity, toxic behavior like that is not okay. If somebody is hurting you, so this is a lesson I've had to personally learn. I'm very empathetic and it can end up being a weakness. It's also a strength, but unfortunately other people can be very manipulative and try to take advantage of people that show compassion for other people. Um, and so uh, it's very important to cut off people that behave that way. You know, whether it's a partner, whether it's a passive investor, whether it's your banker, don't let those people in your life and you'll be able to be happy and positive and move forward for the long haul. If somebody, like if your empathy is being given to somebody who is trying to hurt you, stop giving it. Um, hypocrisy, negativity, uh, get rid of your judgment. We all judge, I get it, but figure out a way to work on yourself enough where you can stop judging people um, and just accept them for who they are. Let them show you who they are. Um, also cutting overspending, greed, ego, Fear of being wrong, manipulation, and again, codependency on other people's approval to be able to do anything or like codependency truly is somebody has an addiction or a problem and you're allowing that person to be in your life and you're trying to fix them. That's really what codependency means. But all those things, if you can get that out of your life, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't have any, like you wouldn't have complete success in the future. For me, this is something I have said out loud um, and uh, was part of our value system uh, being transparent, being vulnerable, being authentic, having humility and thinking of other people first, again, is truly what a leader is. And I don't see any reason why you wouldn't have long-term success if you can't be like that. Always, before you speak, before you act, before you negotiate, before you do anything, think of yourself in the other person's shoes, think from their perspective. And it really helps to open your eyes up to um, th th there's a human behind whatever you're doing and, and you need to try to think of what they're going through first. And if you can identify with them, you would have long-term success for the rest of your life. So it's those people that, you know, cannot see through other people's eyes that they're going to be stuck. They can't succeed. Um, for the long haul, remember, you don't get anywhere without other people. And per this is just a personal thing that I believe in. Um, and destroying the earth will destroy your children. So for me, being in multifamily and having a business and having a structured business is supposed to be creating generational wealth. That is that is my goal. Uh, your goal in having a major company may be something different, but for me, moving forward and having the long haul in mind, if we're allowing our, our business to take advantage of the earth that we have, um, if you are trying to do everything yourself and not being kind to other people, you're not going to make it in the long haul. So those are just personal opinions, um, you know, but I believe in take care of other people and mother nature. So again, mentioning back in the beginning about micro and macroeconomics, this is something very different about investing in multifamily real estate and having um, any business, but especially multifamily real estate. So macro and microeconomics are not, uh, they're not something that I have a degree in. They're not something that I knew like, the back of my hand when I started multifamily real estate. That's why I straight up just learned for a year. Went to every conference, probably two a month, read probably 15 books, 
had three mentors uh, and mentors, not like programs that you're paying for them, but people that I was giving them some value and they were helping me too, but just advice, that's it. And uh, so, so I had to learn all of this, you know, myself and lucky for me, I'm a sponge and I have quite a bit of time. Um, I don't have children, so I'm able to choose to use my time to learn constantly. Um, and, uh, or, you know, if I had children, hopefully I would have a supportive spouse that would allow me to be able to do that. And everyone's in their own different situation. Um, but I didn't know this stuff and it's so important in multifamily real estate if you have your own investment company uh, to understand these trends, right? Um, if you choose to ignore historical trends, you will fail. So everything when we put into our underwriting, so the financials on a deal, um, and honestly, if you're in single family, like I've been looking at maybe doing a couple of fourplex when I'm about to cash out, uh, refi a house. I'm like, well, maybe I'll do a couple of fourplexes with that or, you know, or maybe I'll sell it and do a 1031 exchange or something. Even though it's a one to four family, it's not considered commercial at that point. I still am going to be looking at 30 year trends because the way that uh, people moving in, the way that um, food in that economy, the way that, I mean, military, if we're talking about a pocket of a certain town, if the military is the majority of the people there, I mean, all that, you need to look at historically what has been going on. And I like to use 30 year long trends to, to really be sure uh, that I'm saying, okay, what's the worst thing that's happened? Let's assume that happens, put that into our underwriting, and then we're, we're good. You know, again, with coronavirus, it's a little bit different than anything we've ever dealt with. It's like a hybrid between like a financial crisis and a, um, a disaster like a hurricane. So I don't think, you know, so anyway, I won't get into that, but uh, you got to pay attention to that stuff. Um, so this is something that we couldn't predict, but we just assumed worst case and anything we've ever dealt with before. So I think we're going to be okay. Um, cash reserves, whatnot. Um, again, macro microeconomics, um, you must, I think I already mentioned this, follow your local real estate economy, um, your state and your country. So uh, macro micro. So knowing exactly in your local real estate zip code, subdivision, city, municipality, I mean, county, um, expanding to your state, then your country, it's so important to be able to understand how the real estate economy is moving. I mean, daily, honestly, um, I always keep a watch on, and that's kind of why I keep my residential brokerage, uh, because I'm able to log into MLS here in Texas and look at how many houses are selling every day, how many are listing, how many are being canceled, how many are withdrawing, uh, how many people are stuck in open option contract for a long time. And, and a lot of that translates to multifamily. It just takes a lot longer. So uh, people in single family are a lot more emotional and they're a lot more, um, I mean, emotion driven. So decisions are made quicker. Um, and it's not more based on a long-term investment strategy. It's more like a quicker, uh, short-term investment strategy. So anyway, those, those trends in part will translate to multifamily. So staying aware of that is so important. I don't watch the news because they have an agenda. I don't care what you think. They have an agenda and each different channel has its own agenda. There's money involved. You know, there's individuals that are paid, you know, to talk on that channel by certain other individuals. But for me, I just look at numbers. I literally look at what things are doing every day. Warren Buffett, you know, when he's looking, you know, at the, the major, um, the major, I forget what they're called, but I don't follow the stock market personally. I look at it, but I don't really follow it. So uh, the Dow Jones, you know, like the, the big, the big guys, the S&P 500. So we do track along with the S&P 500, but I don't follow it. Like it's a hard rule. It's just, again, something to be aware of and know what that's doing and then know how to adjust. So um, anyway, but it's important to look at like how things are really happening. And, and if you know that, I mean, 
uh, no, no uh, amount of persuasion or opinion is going to change your investment. One thing I wanted to talk about that, again, I was running earlier and listening to, if you'd like a great book, I think this is great. It's called The Intelligent Investor. It's something that Warren Buffett has read and said it's changed his life. But one thing in the way he runs his businesses, and we are as well, which is why I'm not very heavy in the stock market. I pay attention to it, but I'm not invested in it. I mean, like a tiny bit, but I'm not heavily invested in it is because what we invest in is not speculative. We look at actual uh, businesses that have an inherent value and that inherent value um, at any time, basically you're looking for a long-term success. And again, that is something that can be predicted by historical trends, uh, the business itself, what that business usually does and performs at um, versus something that's high, high speculative or pessimistic, low, low speculative. It's, uh, you know, so um, you must follow your local economy and look at the actual numbers, stay abreast of legal changes. That's also very important. So having an attorney is awesome. So you're ultimately responsible for these legal changes. Like for us, you know, the uh, inability to uh, evict individuals, but I had some deals that were in a county that was not enacting these. These They chose not to uh, until Governor Abbott kind of stepped in and made rules and decided what he was going to enact. But um, so it's very important to stay abreast of your local, you know, deal or, or what is going to affect your business, right? Um, and then there may be creative ways around that um, or ways to work with it or whatnot. Um, never just go, I don't know, and throw up your hands. Um, also, if you uh, don't stick with a sandbox, you'll never get ahead. So why I put this under macro microeconomics is because a sandbox, for me, when it comes to uh, multifamily, is making sure uh, that geographically you have a very defined area. I tried in the beginning to go to Florida and Georgia and Arizona and I mean, ridiculous. Uh, it doesn't work. And I was going, I was getting sick. I was wearing myself out and I couldn't imagine doing this long-term uh, by myself. So it's very important for me to pick an area and know it like the freaking back of your hand. So that leads into number five, knowing your assumptions like the back of your hand. So um, sometimes those things change month to month. And if you're not sticking in a certain area and you're all over the place, how would you be able to keep up with all the different changes? Unless you had a team where you internally had someone that their only job was to monitor these changes in pricing, taxes, insurance, um, uh, reserves, the way that if you're using uh, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac multifamily lending right now, they want a certain amount of reserves put into an escrow account set aside. I mean, all these changes. So if you just stuck in a, in a small area, you'd be very aware of what changes are affecting your local um, sandbox, if you will. And it's very important to focus on the one thing. Um, let's see, if you um, don't have degrees, as I don't, in these areas, micro and macroeconomics, um, having an expert in your corner is where you then need to go. And it's very, very, very easy to find somebody, um, but you just do your research and figure out who's been around for a while. I particularly like seasoned economists, so but you need to have an economist in your corner. So um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this up. I'm going to try, um, but this is an example of somebody who, um, who I follow and I like a lot. Uh, Dr. Mark Dotzer, um, he has presented a few times in Dallas, and there are many other economists out there uh, that have been around even longer, all kinds of things, but just showing you um, what he covers is, you know, things like employment growth in the 21st century. This is an example presentation uh, where success has happened historically over time, uh, migration. So anyway, he is somebody that his job every single day is to follow the trends of real estate, the national economy, 
job growth, all the economic drivers that affect our projects. So that's just an example of somebody that, you know, that I follow, I like, um, because I met him. And then also, um, that's just somebody that I follow. So it's important to have somebody that, you know, is, is time tested, you know, and he'll also, when we had, you know, we had the freak out over the inverted yield curve, for example, and everyone's like, oh, we're going to crash, you know, now and all this stuff. And that was like a year before we ever saw any of this coronavirus happening. Um, but regardless, he was able to provide, again, a historical perspective on exactly how the economy has been going over 30, 40, 50 years. So you can get a more, uh, instead of such a like blinder uh, approach or focus on what's happening, you have more of a performance perspective from someone who's an expert. So uh, typically just take them for lunch or, or booze, you know, and then that's somebody that you can just hang out with on a regular basis. And guess what? They're going to share what they see every day. So it's a, it's a win-win. I did miss a slide earlier. So if you guys look at this later, um, oh crap, how do I go back? Oh, there we go, there we go, yes. Okay, so back here on the bottom here, uh, if you guys get a copy of this slide deck, look this on your own time later, but on this, this LinkedIn post that's on this uh, leader slide, it's a really cool video uh, about how wolves display uh, the difference between a true leader. I think I totally missed this slide altogether, but um, there's a difference between being a leader and a manager and being a tyrant and a boss. So um, it's very important as a leader that your job and you always need to be asking yourself is my actions and my decisions and my, my words and, and everything I'm doing, is it um, helping others to see their worth and potential so they see it themselves? That's what a true leader is. Again, a, a boss, a tyrant, somebody um, that leads by fear is demanding non-collaborative and does not create a, a healthy learning environment, which is what you want. You want people to decide by collaboration, they're learning, and then they agree with what their actions are, not forcing them to do stuff. So I'll pass forward. Y'all can look at that video later. It's pretty cool. Um, let's see. Uh, structure. Here's an example structure. I think I kind of already uh, mentioned this before, but these are really key things uh, for a structure of a business to be very clear. And I'm, I'm running over, so I'll end real quick. Um, but having a meeting, it's like when someone comes on board, what's your experience being part of this, this entity, this business, uh, having a meeting agenda and a frequency already predetermined, predefined, and you're the one leading the meetings, um, having reportings due on a regular basis. Like for example, we have this thing called a scorecard and that is due for everybody in their individual KPIs or key performance indicators on Friday. We have a Monday meeting or sorry, uh, it's Monday that it's due now and Thursday we have a meeting. And so they already know that their, um, their fields in that scorecard need to be filled out. Um, having expectations per role, so having a KPI is very, or several KPIs for that role is important to be just super clear, as clear as you can be with your employees or coworkers or everybody, what is your job role expectations? Um, bonus structure, it's very important to be very clear on your bonus structure. However that is, is something that you need to have in writing and have to them and, and follow up on it and, and pay them how you say you're going to. Um, you have to pay people. You have to take care of them. You have to bonus them for extra effort because there are some people out there that I'm amazed they will go the extra mile. And so you have to be able to show them, all right, well, when you do, here's how we're going to compensate you. Um, punctuality is also key. Again, your expectations that you've set out there being clear on that is, is key. You know, we've had some management companies we've worked with in the past that every week they're late to our call. Every week they don't have their numbers ready to go. Every week there's excuses as to something as simple as asking them, what percentage are we vacant right now? Like it's a very clear, simple, non-statistical answer. And, you know, when you're dealing with people like this, you're, you're, they're not professional, you know, and we've set our standards as far as punctuality. That's, 
that's another way to kind of then deal with um, the firing process, which I think I mentioned on eight termination. Um, again, being very clear with your, uh, your culture. And my buddy Scott says, you know, they're the culture police is really what we are as the, um, the leader of the company or the, the CEO, founder, whatever you want to call yourself. Um, their, your mission, vision, values needs to be clear. Every meeting, it needs to be aligned, or I mean, it needs to be re-outlined uh, so everyone is very clear on what they're doing every day because what they should be asking themselves is, as an employee or coworker or associate, uh, is what I'm choosing to do, and I'm always, you're always in situations where it's never been outlined before in our KPIs, right? We have a new thing we're taking on, but it's under our role. Um, this person needs to be able to operate on their own without talking to you again and saying, is this okay? Is this okay? For us, if you ask yourself if what you're doing and choosing and saying is aligning with our mission, vision, and values, you're fine. You're totally fine. And later on, if you have any questions, as long as it's in alignment with that, you're fine. Um, no one can get angry. But the termination process, again, that needs to be in writing, very clear in the beginning. Uh, we always have a verbal warning, a, a written warning, and then we have a face-to-face -face meeting, which basically reviews those two other warnings. And you're to the point where the person, uh, you're going, okay, didn't we have this discussion? They're like, yeah. Didn't we have this in writing? Yeah. Didn't we keep doing that? They're like, yeah. And, and so basically then they're like, yeah, so I got to go. So it makes it very, very not stressful because it's clear, you know, from the jump. Um, this is just a really bad picture, but an example of what it would look like for an org chart and being very clear when you have someone come on board, who's in charge of what. Um, very, very clear, you know. Um, and then that's it. That's all I've got for today. There. All right. Thank you, Kaylee. And we will go back to uh, Kaylee in just a moment. So, uh, yeah, this is brought to you by Real Estate IQ, number one in deal finding. We have over 45,000 leads every month. Um, you can get updated lists of motivated and distressed sellers. We have all of these lists. We also have a separate list of commercial off-market leads, which is, I think, four of these or five of these categories but they are only properties that are owned by commercial entities. You have all these that are primarily single family plus the commercial and the commercial off-market leads. The one with the ones with the asterisks as well as the commercial off-market leads are part of our premium package. And that includes skip tracing for all of those lists as well. So you get email addresses and phone numbers for the people um, as well. And the basic package just has address and property information. Guarantee you'll always find a deal with Real Estate IQ. I want to let you hear what this gentleman has to say about it real quick. guys, we're here at the Quest Trillion Dollar Mixer right here. And I'm talking to Omero Corona. He's just made more than $100,000 with Real Estate IQ. Could you tell us about your story? Yeah. How's everybody doing? Omero Corona here at the uh, Quest Trust uh, Trillion Dollar Mixer. Really excited to share uh, my testimony and my story with uh, Real Estate IQ. So over the last, uh, you know, about six, seven months, I've been using uh, their platform and getting some of their uh, lists and I was able to uh, finish my first flip recently where I was able to net about 85000 and in 
total, I think I've uh, been able to make about $100,000 with Real Estate IQ and their tools. So really excited to share this uh, great um, you know, company with you guys and definitely uh, give it a shot. I think you guys uh, will take advantage of all the tools and uh, it'll be profitable for you and your company. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Potential deal. And we end. Okay. If you'd like to sign up for a one-on-one -on -one individual training and demo of our service, just go ahead and click yes to that button right there on the poll. Also let us know if you are a current Real Estate IQ subscriber. I saw a couple names in the attendees that I recognized. Also want to make sure that you know about our new community portal. So I'm going to go to that real quick. And so this is realestateiq.co is our website. And once you go there, if you go here to the top and click on community, this is our new social media site for real estate investors. And uh, so we have a community feed here, like most normal communities. But I also want to show you, if you go to groups, we have all of these groups that you can join. So you'll need to go up here where, where my name won't be and join the community. And once you've joined the community, you can also join a group. And so Kaylee has a group too. I haven't looked at it, so I don't know exactly what it's called. Okay, I'm not seeing it right now. Um, I have a women in real estate group. There's groups for different areas where you live. There's a successful habits book club. Um, so all kinds of things. And we haven't even done our official rollout of this yet. So um, once we do, it's going to really grow hugely. Um, so apartment, it's called apartment. Search, see if that helps. There it is. Apartment real estate investors. That's Kaylee's group. So you can just, I just typed apartment into the search. There it is. You can join that group after you sign up for the community. And that's where the recordings will be for these webinars as well. All right. So do make sure you become a part of that. So as far as products, we have our deal analysis suite, which is basically running comps for properties. Uh, we also have these two calculators that work, and that starts at 15 bucks a month. So it's really inexpensive. Deal finding suite, that includes the off-market leads that I told you about. Um, our MLS deal finder, which searches the MLS for properties that are listed at a discount. And our county data finder. Uh, these are a little bit out of order. Here's our county data finder where you can create your own list to market to. You can look for commercial small apartments here, um, duplexes, whatever. You can limit it by size, value, how long they've owned it to make sure they have equity. Over 65 in some locations, not Houston, but I think in DFW, you can get that as well. Um, so we also partner with ROI Muse. They have some great advanced commercial and residential deal analysis calculators that are really easy to use and very powerful tools. Um, we also have good customer service, not going to leave you out to dry. So if you'd like to get some freebies from us, we have some heat maps kind of tell you where the deals are. Discounted MLS deals, pre-foreclosure deals, rental income deals, or we have our deal of the day, which is a live MLS deal that's discounted, and we um, blast that out, analyze it with our system. So go ahead, 
in the poll, you can sign up for freebies. If you miss signing up for the one-on-one -on -one deal finding training, you can just put that in the chat. All right, everybody. Well, this is how you can get in touch with me. Uh, if you want any more information um, besides just that poll, uh, my email is admin at theapartmentqueen.com. And we are also on um, Instagram and TikTok uh, as the apartment queen underscore. So we do, like I said, marketing and advertising. So we're also all over those uh, platforms as well. So contact us anyway, and uh, we'll be back again next Saturday at noon. I uh, can't remember the topic, but I swear I will add value. So I'll see y'all then. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.